Origin Gate is a proud supporter and endorser of The Nest. Before you get into today's podcast, I wanted to tell you of an exciting new school offered by The Nest. It's called Voices of Torah, and it will be run by Carl Whitehead. Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut? Do you feel like you've hit a ceiling in your relationship with God? Does your prayer life consist of the same words, the same requests, the same complaints year after year? If you're truthful, has reading the Bible become a chore? If any of these statements ring true for you, then you are going to benefit so much from the Voices of Torah School. This school is designed to introduce you to an ever-unfolding and expanding perspective of God's Word, and it will introduce you to the wonders of the Hebrew text and the rich culture of studying Torah. Carl will teach you how to do word studies, and you will be amazed at the depth of revelation contained in each word of the Torah. Discovering all of these mysteries that Yahweh has placed in His Word for you to find will give you a new reverential awe and love for who He is. As you receive this amazing revelation, you will find your prayer life and intimacy with Yahweh beginning to change and your relationship will never be the same again. You will move from glory to glory and will be transformed into His image as you uncover the truth of who He is. As you start on your exciting journey of discovery, you'll be bursting to share your findings. Each week, you'll have an opportunity to connect with your teacher and peers to do just that. Iron sharpens iron when like-minded people come together. This school will run for nine months from the 9th of January till the 1st of October 2021, and there will be 74 sessions per year. You do not need to be a Hebrew scholar or have any knowledge of the Hebrew alphabet to commence this school. Year one will build a solid foundation which will prepare and make you more confident to go deeper from year two. For more information on costs and dates and times, please visit www.thefoundationnest.com. Click on the tab called Voices of Torah. Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast, Wisdom's Echo. This is Grant Mahoney, and I'm going to continue sharing on Kingdom Fathers Part 2. So last time when we looked at this, we were talking about how Adam had rebelled against Yahweh and the world had been handed over to Satan, and Satan became the god of this present world. And so what I want to do is I want to continue from there and begin to talk about this. So Satan... Um, uh, literally usurped and he replaced Yahweh in Yahweh's own world. And so Yahweh now wants back into his world. So what does he do? He begins to speak to Moshe because he has a relationship with Moshe. Remember, he takes Moshe up the mountain and tells him, bring all the elders and the 72 elders and blah, blah, blah. And they have a meal with Yahweh. But at some point, and all of them see God's face, but at some point in that meal, in the time that they were there, Yahweh comes up to Moses and he says, I want to take you higher. I want to go higher, just you alone. And the reason he did that was because he was a friend of Yahweh and Yahweh would only share some secrets with his friends. And so he takes Moses and he says, I want you to build this thing. And if you build it, I'm going to come. And so what it's talking about in Hebrews, if you build it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a portal between the heavens and your world. And then 
I'm going to have legal right once again to access my world. And I'm coming back into my world is literally what Yahweh was saying. And I'm going to face the enemy and I'm going to beat him on his own turf. And I'm going to get my world back is what Yahweh was saying. And so the reason it's important for you and me to understand the theological implications of what I'm talking about is this. Is because if you understand this is Yahweh's desire. This is what he is striving for. Then you also understand that although Yeshua cried, it is finished, and his work was done on the cross, yours and mine is not yet completed. We have not finished what we're supposed to do. Yeshua paid a price, and he paid the price, and he cries out, and he says, it's finished. And what we've been left with is, as it were, is the job of taking the kingdom and implementing the kingdom he came to establish. That's our role, is to make earth look like heaven. And so let's go back to the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses is told to build. And he's told to build it with great care, considering the most minute details. He is told that you cannot in any way vary from the pattern, the design that I've shown you of the true tabernacle that is in the heavens. Remember we spoke about that movie, Contact, and these beings sending mathematical drawings. This is what was happening. Yahweh was giving Moses these mathematical equations to begin to build a tabernacle on earth that looks like the tabernacle in heaven. And so there's this tabernacle in heaven. And what he's saying is if you build one here, then there's one in heaven, there's one on the earth. And between the two, I'm going to be able to access my world again. In other words, this is a stargate, a portal that is created between that world where I am the Lord and the world where this fallen angel is now ruling. And so Moses is very careful to do what the Lord instructs him to do, which is very, very interesting. And in fact, the only time Moses ever really gets bent out of shape or upset or fails Yahweh was when he struck the rock. And if, if you look at that whole thing about him stri striking the rock, it was almost quite a harsh consequence after 40 years of leading all these rebellious Israelites around the wilderness you would think how come did Yahweh not give this guy a break his friend a break how good would would you or me have done with this bunch I thought you know like we often have those things where he was like Moses wanted to kill them and then Yahweh wanted to kill them and I know that Moses had bad days just like you and I have bad days and and so there were other days you know when when Moses would say to get out of my way I'm going to kill him and vice versa and it was just one day it was just too much and so Moses picks up his staff and he's and he hits this rock and Yahweh gets really angry with him and because of that Yahweh says you're not going into the promised land I, and I want to show you how Yahweh is incredibly careful to project far into the future things that have great meaning now that extrapolate into events that are of incredible significance and so Yahweh, through Moses and through the tabernacle and through everything that was happening in the wilderness, was literally typing and foreshadowing some things that were about to be released in the earth a lot later. And so when you and I look at Moses striking the rock and you wonder, why would Yahweh shut him out of the promised land? You know, one mistake in 40 years. It's just crazy. I mean, you know, here's a guy who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Um, he did not have Yahweh living inside of them. And as you know, today we, we get strength from that. And it's just, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Moses didn't have this. And yes, Yahweh being really almost nasty, we could think about it. And Moses had one ba bad moment and he shut out of the promised land. And it's not until you realize that that rock that followed them was Christ. And so when Moses picked up the staff, is it possible that when he struck that rock, he was adding to the suffering of Yeshua on the cross through typology. 
you know. In other words, being the person responsible for the spear that was thrust into the side of Yeshua. Is it possible that Yeshua was already dead and then to add to the indignity of that whole thing that had already been heaped upon him, the Roman centurions thrust the spear into his side and the blood and water comes out. Is it possible that the reason Moses is shut out of the promised land is because in typology he added a wound that did not even to be added to, to the sufferings of Yeshua. And so I mention this because I really want you to understand that little things in Scripture have extraordinary implications when they're extrapolated into the future in terms of their meaning. It's so important to understand that. And I'm not here to establish some doctrine. I'm just saying, what if? But I am here trying to give you something to think about. Think about it and tell me, why was Moses shut out? Why did Yahweh get so upset about such a little thing as striking a rock? A rock. And the Scripture even says that that rock was Christ. And so... One of the things that I think that when we look at the whole tabernacle and, and the design of it, there are so many things in that whole design. The whole salvation plan is laid out there. Everything is there. There is a pattern of ministry is implemented in the tabernacle that, that I'm going to look at a bit later. And so let's take a little bit of time to look at the tabernacle itself so we can get a better understanding of, of it. The tabernacle faced to the east and it had, it had a... A literally a public relations issue or problem and how many of us know that today the church in many cases has a public relations problem um, now we have to understand something I know scripture says that the tabernacle was covered in badger skins but there were no badgers in Israel and it wasn't covered in badger skins when you look at that word and you search it in the Hebrew it's the word takash which is a unicorn and when you go and look at that what it was was it was one skin of a unicorn and when you look at the hebrew understanding of the unicorn it was a creature who had an iridescent multicolored um, pelt and this is the last time in scripture that the unicorn is seen and so it was from the outside when you looked at this place it was incredibly scary it radiated multiple colors i'm sure there was even sound coming out of it but when you get inside the tabernacle it was absolutely the most beautiful thing you'd ever seen in your entire life because if you could make it into the holy of holies, the holy place, everything there there was gold. The outer court was brass, the inner court was brass and gold. But in the holy of holies, it was all gold. And so whenever you came out of the garden in Edom, there were two cherubims guarding it. And cherubims in scripture are always connected to the manifest presence of Yahweh. The manifest glory that is always accompanied is always accompanied by the cherubim. And so there were cherubim put at the entrance of the garden of eden with a flaming sword so three beings two cherubim and a flaming sword and this is what scripture says to keep the way of the tree of life and what's happened is so many christians have been taught that they were placed at the garden to keep man out and that's not what it's saying it says they were put there to keep the way of the tree of the life and that word keep there in the hebrew means to preserve or to save so it doesn't get lost or ruined or spoiled or something like that so the word may, uh, may in the Hebrew word means a road. So to keep the way means road. So Yahweh put them there to keep the way, the road, from not getting lost. So everything in Scripture is from this perspective. It's not man trying to find Yahweh. It's Yahweh trying to find man. Coming to us because you and I couldn't go to Him. And so, you know, I hear people saying things like, Praise Yahweh, I'm so glad. Uh, I found the Lord 10 years ago or 15 years ago. No, you didn't find the Lord. He wasn't lost. He found you. You did not find Yahweh. He found you. 
You weren't even looking for him. He had to go looking for you. Yahweh came and he found you. He wasn't lost. You were. So anyway, Yahweh puts these cherubim uh, there to guard the way of the tree of life. And it says he places them at the eastern gate of the garden. And so whenever the tabernacle was built, Yahweh gave specific instructions. Make sure you place this tabernacle facing towards the east, the same direction as the heavenly tab tabernacle. The truth of the matter is the image um, of the church was not being well formed or hasn't been well formed. They do not know what we have because we have a tremendous PR problem that exists within the church and the earth today. And so people don't really know what we have, but we have some amazing stuff. And so the concepts I want to share is I want to look at seven dimensions of kingdom fatherhood. And they have a lot to do with the tabernacle. And so when you walked into the tabernacle, let's have a look at the different furniture and the altars. And then let's get up to the veil. The veil was four to six inches thick. So heavy that Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, priest, um, writes that the veil is so thick that you could attach teams of horses on each side that when they pulled on the veil, they could not tear it apart. Because we have to remember the veil was one thing. It wasn't two curtains. It was one thick curtain. It was so thick that light couldn't enter it. There was no light beyond the veil other than the light of Yahweh, which was literally the Shekinah, the being of holiness, that blue flame of fire that literally hung suspended in midair between the two cherubims. It was the being of holiness. The same two cherubims that were positioned at the entrance of the Garden of Eden. So do you know that inside the most holy place, the walls were literally made from acacia wood? And acacia wood is very interesting because acacia wood is a thorn tree. And so whenever Adam and Eve sinned, what happened is the ground was cursed and it brought forth thorns because of their disobedience. But in the presence of Yahweh, they go and they take thorn trees or th and, and the boards from thorn trees. They literally made the walls of the most holy place and they cover them in gold. Why? Because if you can get into the divine manifest presence of Yahweh, literally the curse is removed. And that's what they were trying to portray. When you come into that place, the presence of Yahweh, the curse is gone. This is one of the problems that exists in our governments in, in the world today, and is the absence of kingdom leadership, spiritual leadership. Um, and they don't know how to remove the curse. And so when we are the we, you and me, we are the ones that have the secret. How many of you know that the, the Hebrew rabbi Bezalel was skilled in? He was skilled in engraving and all manners of craftsmanship. Bezalel was the one who made all the walls of the holy place and covered them with gold and carved on the walls of the acacia wood trees. Because according to rabbinical understanding, whenever you come into the presence of Yahweh, you're back in the Garden of Eden. You, you, got, you go behind the veil. When you go there, you were back where Adam had failed because of his, his rebellion and Eve because of her deception that she experienced. Isn't that incredible? That that's what happens when we come into the presence of God. You know, it's amazing that it took seven priests to help the high priest on Yom Kippur, the day, the day of atonement. Seven other priests accompanied him as he was about to enter the veil because they would have to stand, him, stand there and hold him up as he approached the veil and also to hold the ropes in case he died and they'd have to pull him out. Because he, he would literally, the, the presence of Yahweh was so powerful in that room. The word for the glory is the kabod or the heaviness of Yahweh. And one man couldn't just go in there and stand. And that's, and that's before they get through the veil. Because of the glory of Yahweh was so heavy. So it needed them to help him hold him up. And so 
How many of you know we have the saying, people that don't care carry any weight, they're called airheads. And what do we say about people that really matter? They are heavyweights. And so you know why the church hasn't been able to change the world? Because we have a public relations problem, a PR problem. You know why the world's leadership and governments have not been able to fix their problems? Because they're lightweights. And, and I, I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Because you and I have been given the secrets and the mysteries. All they need is someone to be touched by the kingdom of Yahweh and by the goodness of God. And so I don't know about you, but I am so deeply touched when I sense the presence of Yahweh. Like I can be doing even some of the, the round tables that we've been doing, and I feel the presence of God in my room. And so whenever Yahweh's presence shows up, it's so remarkable and unusual and unique that it defines itself in such a way that there's nothing else that even comes close to close to it in, in terms of comparing to it. And so I'm going to end on this. When the high priest got into the presence of Yahweh, this is what is amazing. It was never Yahweh's plan to have one man in his presence. Um you know, foundationally, I need to say this so that you can understand the position from where I'm coming from. And that position, I've said it several times, is you do not seek Yahweh out. It's all about Yahweh seeking you. So we'll look at part three in the next one. Bless you guys. Thank you.